gonna do one more and then we'll go to sleep. Do, 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 do. Welcome back to Chew the Bible. It's your good friend A.A. Ron. It's 3.22 in the morning. And on this lovely September 15th, 2022, we're in chapter 7 of Daniel. The heading is Vision of the Four Beast. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion. Interesting that the first one is a lion. You know, Daniel just got out of a lion's den. So I'm sure that was in his subconscious. (laughs) Uh, and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. Mm. Verse five. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird the beast also had four heads and and dominion was given to it verse 7 after this i saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast dreadful and terrible exceedingly strong it had huge iron teeth it was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns Mm, i was considering the horns And there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Mm. Vision of the Ancient of Days. That pompous words made me think of a president that we had in office at one point. Anyway, all right. Vision of the Ancient of Days. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. I wonder who that is. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. A thousand thousands hmm. and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one, which shall not be destroyed. Verse 15, Daniel's visions interpreted. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. 
verse 17, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which will arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even at forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before, before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows, was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Mm. Until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand, for a time and times and a half a time. For a time and times and a half a time. Mm. Wow. I believe we're talking about the Antichrist here. There's a lot of uh, notes here. Um. I think I'm going to go ahead and read the, uh, I have some notes here. It's not the Tony Evans study Bible, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not the Tony Evans study Bible, but it's, uh, oh, it's, uh, my dad's Bible. which is a spirit-filled life Bible. And it's... Uh, once again, the New King James Version, I believe, by Jack W. Hayford. Interesting. All right, let's read, finish reading this, though. This is kind of like, this is, an, this is some wild stuff. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy. Hold on, where was I? Verse 25. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, and times and a half a time, but the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. 
His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account as for me. Hold on a second. I mean, I, I, I miss this. I started daydreaming for a second. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. I believe we're talking about Jesus. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So he didn't go around telling everybody. All right, we're going to read all this, though, because this is very interesting. Uh, all these little notes here. I'm, lately, I've been like skipping the notes. Um, but for this one, especially after some of the little things that have been going on lately, things have been kind of lining up a lot in my life. Um... Yeah, we're going to go ahead and read this. Here we go. These are notes for chapter seven. Daniel's dream would have been about 550 BC. This would have been some 10 years before the events of chapter five or 550 years before Christ. The great sea may be the Mediterranean or more figuratively, the Gentile peoples of the world. As with the kingdoms of the great image of chapter 2, the identity of the kingdoms represented by the various beasts is difficult. It is generally agreed that they represent three successive kingdoms. The main interpretations are that the lion represents Babylon, the bear represents either Media or the Medo Persian Empire, and the leopard represents either Persia or Greece. Hmm. The leopard was. Okay, the third one. Greece stood out when I read this because I had this blind woman in my car. And um, um, there's this Christian guy helping her. And she randomly, I don't know, everything I, when I, somebody's saying something to me lately, like I pay attention to everything. Like I connect dots like all the time and I write notes because there's things going on right now. Um, yeah, I could honestly see Jesus returning really soon. I don't know, or just events unfolding that I thought would have happened years ago when I was a teenager. Uh, I thought Jesus would have returned a long time ago. I didn't think I would even have kids. Anyway. Yes, the woman was in my, blind woman was in my car the other day. And, um. She was telling me that the there was this guy at Target that was helping her and um, get in the car or whatever. And it's interesting because she said I was the seventh or I would have been the eighth because like she said, seven Uber drivers canceled on her. They came nearby and then they canceled on her. And so I was the eighth one to pick her up with her seventh or eighth, somewhere around there. So I was like, hmm. That's, that's interesting. You had all these Uber drivers can and they canceled because I think they saw her seeing eye dog, but and they don't a lot of Uber drivers don't like people with dogs in their car. But I do need to start putting plastic down when people 
let their dogs in my car because yeah this her dog did shed quite a bit and it's not fun vacuuming that up but anyway i gave her a ride and she was telling me yeah the guy who helped her i can't remember his name he was a yeah she told me he was a christian and uh that his son is going to greece for school so anyway when she's when i don't know my brain just started thinking like he's talking about talking about they're talking about greece now like of all the things like i'll just pay attention to the details that wasn't a coincidence the interpretation of the fourth beast depends on one's interpretation of the previous three if the third beast represents persia this is greece it represents if it represents greece this is rome Hmm, I'm confused. What do you mean? If the third beast represents Persia, this is Greece. If it represents Greece, this is Rome. I don't know. That's above my head. All right, 10 horns symbolize an unspecified and yet complete number of kings within the fourth kingdom or 10 powers that will emerge in the last days from the ruins of the Roman Empire. I'm sure that somebody has a whole chart on all this kind of stuff. I don't know who those nations are. Like a NATO or something like that. It's interesting. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth just passed away. Yeah, anyway, see this. You can. This can get kind of dangerous when you start reading into this stuff. Like I'm not a huge fan of end times prophecy because it it makes me tremble. Oh my God! Just my prayer is like, Lord, can I just be beamed up before it gets too crazy out here and turns into a scary movie? Anyway. All right, God's sovereignty over kings is seen in his plucking out three of the first horns. Dispensational interpretation sees the fourth kingdom as Rome, with another horn generally being regarded as its Caesars. Interesting because. Anyway, I'm going to keep reading. Classical interpretation. Classical interpretation sees the fourth kingdom and another horn as representing Greece and and. Tiochus Epiphanus. In either case, this little one clearly embodies the Antichrist spirit and becomes an archetype of the Antichrist of the book of Revelation. Ten, the ancient ten, the ancient of days is God, indicating his eternality. His throne overrules all other thrones, and from it proceeds the fire of judgment. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite self-designation, hence Daniel's dream is in part messianic, announcing that the Messiah's coming will inaugurate a new phase of God's rule on earth. Christ did this by bringing the kingdom of God into human experience. Then they point to a bunch of scriptures and revelation that you can go check out. And it says, a time and times and a half time is another way of saying three and one half years. Hmm. So three and a half years. It refers to the last half of the 70th week. The time for the most intense manifestation of Satan's power and his persecution of the Jews and believers in Christ who still remain on earth. This reference gives strong evidence that the last half of Daniel's 70th week. That the last half of Daniel's 70th week. Week of years refers to the great tribulation. This reference gives strong evidence that the last half of Daniel's 70th week 
or the week of years refers to the Great Tribulation. Interesting. All right. Uh, classical interpretation. Classical interpretation does not associate the time and times in a half time with a literal three and one half period. Rather, it refers to it as a rep- representing an indefinite, divinely controlled time period and referring to Antiochus. Antiochus, that's how I would say that. Epiphanes, it indicates his destructive time will end when God so deems this the same is true with reference to the final ploys of the Antichrist. I'm going to read a few more notes here that are in this lovely Bible I have here. The New Spirit Filled Life Bible by Jack Hayford. He's the editor of the book. All right, so I'm going to read these notes under the little kingdom dynamic section. Old Testament. Possessing the kingdom, prophecy in the kingdom. Daniel's prophecy in chapter seven not only spans the spiritual struggle covering the ages through Messiah's first and second coming, but it uses two terms important to perceiving the biblical truth of the kingdom of God, dominion and possess. Dominion from Chaldee, Shalet, is that's the word to govern, prevail, dominate is in the hands of world powers until the coming of the Son of Man, at which time it is taken to him forever. But an interim struggle is seen between the first and second coming of Messiah. Mm. During this season, the saints possess, or Chaldee, Chekhan, to hold on or to occupy the kingdom. Wow, we've been talking a lot about that in our church. That was the word that was given. i got to talk to my counselor about this tomorrow when I see him. Because we've been talking about, that's the word he gave, like to occupy. This communicates a process of long struggle as the redeemed saints possess what they have received. The scenario reads, after the judgment was made in favor of the saints, a forecast of the pivotal impact of Christ's cross upon which hinged both man's redemption and his reinstatement to the potential of his rule under God. An extended struggle ensues. This struggle is described as the time which came for the saints to possess the kingdom. They do battle against sinister adversaries and experience a mix of victories and apparent defeats. The prophecy unveils the present age of the kingdom, which is one of ongoing struggle with victory upon victory for the church. Yet it withholds its conclusive triumph until Christ comes again. This prophecy also balances the question of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. God's sovereignty accomplishes the foundational victory and in the cross achieves the decisive victory, allowing the saints new dimensions for advance and conquest. He entrusts the responsibility for that advance to his own to possess the kingdom, entering into conflict with his adversaries at times at the expense of their apparent defeat. Interesting. However, movement toward victory is theirs as they press the judgment of the court and seize realms controlled by evil. They wrestle the dominion from hellish powers, continuing in warfare until the ultimate seating of the Son of Man. Prophetic systems vary as to how and when these words unfold on the calendar of church history for the passage is subject to different schemes of interpretation, each with different projected chronologies. Chron- my bad. Chronologies. I'm tripping. Hey, I gotta forgive me. I'm like starting to feel this sleepy time tea that I drink kicking in. 
But the foundational fact remains that an age-long struggle between the saints and the power of evil in the world calls each believer to a commitment to steadfast battle, a mixture of victories with setbacks and a consummate triumph anticipated at Christ's coming. In the meantime, we receive the kingdom and pursue victories for our king by his power, making intermittent gains, all of which are based on the judgment achieved through the cross. Man, I, this, those notes right there, just bring a lot of clarity to like what's been going on. Like when I've been dealing with in my mind, it's more than just the bipolar diagnosis I got three, four years ago. It's like, I honestly feel like all hell is broken loose in my life. Like, like right before my divorce. And a lot of that, you know, is some of my own, a lot of it is my own doing, you know, things I could have done differently. But a lot of it, I feel like is definitely, and I hate to give the devil credit, but it's like a lot of it has been like just spiritual warfare. And I was getting beat up big time. And a lot of it was, yeah, all in my mind, like in a lot of it, if you, the foundation of some of the choices that I made after my divorce at the root of it is that I didn't trust that God was, that he loved me, that he really, really, really loved me. And that there was nothing that I could do to like earn his love and also lose his love for him to stop loving me. And I just kept running like, Anyway, I could talk for days about that, but then it was really refreshing tonight when I visited uh or went to uh the Cure Church and this guy preached about the yeah the, the story of the prodigal son and like once again I that story never gets old because that's me like here's this 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 father the heart of the father he runs after the son and he throws his big banquet for him. And um, hugs him and embraces him. It's like the dad wasn't like, I'm going to say I'm the prodigal son in the situation. He wasn't like, Aaron, you should have known better. Aaron, how could you have done that? What's wrong with you? Like He didn't scold me and put me on punishment and say, I, you know, all. Yeah, that's what the, pro- the father of the prodigal son could have done. But instead, he celebrates him. And Jesus celebrates us too like every time you you might have said done some things that you know you shouldn't have done and made mistake after mistake every time you said you you do something right at least one time he recognizes that he recognizes the yes in your heart the small yeses the small victories and after every small victory like there'll be more victories it's like a snowball effect and so um Like, I think that's the root of, like, all sin is, at least in my mind, is not believing that Jesus truly loves you and that you, when you've accepted him to your heart, that you've been adopted. And, yeah, that's, I think that's what keeps a lot of people from coming to Jesus is, like, feeling like they are not good enough or clean enough 
you know, to go to church and be around other Christians and that God doesn't love them. And, you know, they're too bad. You know, the black sheep mentality. It's like, that's the funny thing. Yeah, it's funny that that's a term that people use, black sheep, um, because it's funny. I went to, because, yeah, I went to, the, yeah, the Bible is no, it's, there's a reason why the Bible refers to Christians as sheep all the time. Because sheep, they wander, they are not the smartest of animals, apparently. And they tend to, yeah, go astray a lot. And need to be guided and, you know, led constantly and taken care of and basically coddled all the time. And Jesus is a good shepherd that's willing to do that. And he'll leave the 99 to go after the one every time. And so... um even when you go get dirty and become like a black sheep, like he will come, he will cleanse you and clean you. Now, the crazy thing, this is the wild analogy I've been, that's been popping in my head lately. Is I went to the zoo with my son, Matthew, and uh, we saw the sheep. Yeah, the sheep were on one side. It's crazy. They had them together. The sheep were on one side and one pin and the goats are in the pin right next to it. Like they're crossing each other. And Matthew said something that I'll never forget. He was like, the yeah, the sheep stink. But then he said, and then we went over to the goats. He's like, man, the sheep stink, but the goats stink even more. I was like, ain't that the gospel right there? Like when he talks about like how he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, it's like, if you're a goat, you basically don't have a relationship with Jesus at all, right? And... You don't, basically, there's no fear of the Lord. All you do is swim in dirt. Everything that comes out of your mouth is a curse word. Everything, that's, that's, there's Christians who curse still, but I'm saying, you know what I mean? Like, everything that, they, that a goat does is dirty and stinky and nasty. Um, has no desire to live righteously. But a sheep is willing to be cleaned and sheared by their by their their shepherd yeah goats don't follow a shepherd but uh, yeah sheep will and they know the the shepherd's voice and um anyway there's so many what yeah yeah a sheep gets dirty and stinks but it yeah jesus is always right there to cleanse us when we repent and, turn, and all repentance is is turning back to him and going back into his pen and following his path or wherever he's leading us. You know, like when a shepherd is leading a, a flock of sheep from one town to the next, you know, if one of the sheep veers off, he's willing to go get that one and bring him back. You know, that's what sin is, is when we veer off the path that God has for us the path that he's leading as our shepherd. So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word. Thank you for all that you're doing and saying to us. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that as I finally fall asleep, Lord, that you would give me a peaceful, restful sleep, Lord. And um, just thank you for this word. I thank you for your redemption. I thank you for your restoration. That you're a good father, you're a gracious father, you're a kind father. In Jesus' mighty, precious name I pray. Amen. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, 
or missed the mark or veered off the path and fallen short of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God, and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody or everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, or you've walked away from him, and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty, precious name I pray. Amen.